receive now these words of scripture from Acts chapter 17 from the Common English Bible Translation. Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill and said, People of Athens, I see you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. <coughs> While you worship is unknown, I now proclaim to you God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though he, <coughs> as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. <coughs> From every person created every human nation to live on the whole earth, <coughs> excuse me, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands, <coughs> God made the nation so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God we live, move, and exist. As some of your poets said, we are his offspring. Therefore, as God's offspring, we have no need to imagine that the divine is being like a gold, silver, or a stone image made by human skill and thought. God overlooks ignorance of all of these things in times past, but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives. This is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he has appointed. God has given proof to this everyone by raising him from the dead. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Good morning, friends. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Pastor Ginger is a good friend from our days in seminary, just a few years ago, of course, hasn't been that long. And in recent years, it's been wonderful to reconnect with her in the important work that we are doing to make the United Methodist Church a more inclusive place. Your church, Foundry, Pastor Ginger, and your leadership here has been such an important voice for all of us over so many years. So it's a joy for me to be with you today and to experience your church, your worship uh, together. It's, it's also wonderful to be here in May. It's already hot as blazes in Miami, where I live. So I've enjoyed this wonderful, beautiful weekend in Washington, D.C. We find ourselves in the book of Acts today, and we are often there in the Easter season. After, those first, after we recount the first stories of the resurrected Jesus that we find in the Gospels where he returns and makes his appearance to the disciples, nearly scaring them to death, we often jump quickly to the book of Acts, where we meet those, those early believers in the first hours, days, weeks, months after Jesus has been raised from the dead. We experience them as they uh, encounter others. We experience the miracle of Pentecost, which we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks. Acts reminds us of the sacrifice 
of the early believers as they dodged mobs, eluded authorities, well, until they were caught and thrown in prison, of course, were reminded of how hard it was to share the good news when many did not think it was news at all. So in today's passage from Acts, we find ourselves in the great city of Athens. Before this time, Paul has been spending his days with the Jews, yes? Building a bridge between their faith, their scripture, their hope for a Messiah, and Jesus, who Paul and others believed was the fulfillment of the hopes and dreams of the Jews. Now, Paul could build this bridge pretty easily because he was one of them, an educated, well-respected Jew himself. He knew how to speak to the hearts and the minds and the hopes of the Jews. Yet today we find him in the city of Athens, a city saturated with the sights and the sounds of the Greek gods. A few verses before the ones we heard from the book of Acts today, we are told that that the longer Paul stayed in Athens, the angrier he got. Other versions of scripture say he was irked, annoyed, bothered, troubled. The city was a junkyard of idols, we're told in the message translation of Scripture. Paul could hardly take it. But he was going to have to find a way to build a bridge with this community as well if he was going to share the good news of Jesus with them. My daughter, who's here today, has just finished a couple of weeks of advanced placement exams. Maybe others of you have teenagers in your life. My personal opinion is that they are a diabolical addition to secondary education today. There was one of her exams that I could actually help her study for, and that was her AP Spanish exam. Others, like calculus, I closed the book on long ago. In fact, I don't even think I ever opened that book personally. Um, <laughs> AP Spanish, I tried to assist her with, and we we worked on various pieces of the exam, one of which was called the cultural comparison. Now, what the student is meant to do is compare their own community to a community of their choice in a Spanish-speaking country. Now, you might think, that shouldn't have been very hard. We live in Miami. There are lots of ways to compare Miami to many communities in Latin America. It's true. And as we studied, I found myself always wanting to point out the differences between Miami and other places in Latin America. That seemed to be more interesting to me. But my daughter would quickly remind me, because this was her exam, right, that she was studying for, Mom, this is a cultural comparison. It's not a cultural contrast. Okay, right, back to work, back to work. You know, when Paul spoke to the Jews, he was speaking apples to apples, right? Comparing apples to apples. He was was making a cultural comparison of sorts. The two communities, the two belief systems were very similar. 
had the same roots, the same DNA, the same understanding of one God, creator of the universe, sustainer of the world. But when Paul got to Athens, it wasn't even apples to oranges. It was more like apples to, I don't know, soybeans? That doesn't sound right, does it? But you get my point. It was that extreme. How to bring an understanding of Jesus, an understanding of this one God of the universe, just one, a God who wants to live in communion with us, how to bring that understanding to the Athenians. No wonder when Paul got to Athens, he found himself angry, irked, annoyed, bothered, troubled by all of the idols around him. It was a contrast. Willie James Jennings is a professor of systematic theology and Africana studies at Yale Divinity School. He's written a theological commentary on the book of Acts, which is outstanding and I would commend to you. It's part of a series of commentaries on scripture that have been released over the last several years. His on Acts is is truly brilliant. In the portion dedicated to the passage of Scripture we're talking about today, he writes these words that convey what he believes Paul is trying to convey to the Athenians. He writes, Paul here extends himself into a Gentile world to offer a way into God's beautiful new world. Paul formed in Torah sensibilities, is rightly, greatly disturbed by the idolatry all around him. But now he will do something absolutely stunning and marvelously productive with his outrage. He will not turn away from the idolaters, but toward them. This is what the gospel demands a reaching toward and a reaching out to the point of touching and holding. Paul is reaching out to those Gentiles who could not be more removed from his world of covenantal faithfulness. So how does Paul reach out to the Athenians with this word, this word that he brings to them? So again, in the message translation of Scripture, which is the contemporary language version of Scripture written by Eugene Peterson, which I would also commend to you, verse 27 is translated in this way. God doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. God's not remote. God is near. Think about the game hide-and-seek. Have you ever tried to play hide-and-seek with small children? Let's say two, three, four years old. I tell you, this morning at the 9 o'clock service, there was this whole group of small toddlers. Later, I thought, I should have tried to play hide-and-seek with them here in the sanctuary. Perhaps that was a bad idea. Good thing that came to me later. Two, three, four-year-olds, you play hide-and-seek, you count to 10 or 20, 
They rush off to hide. And you know what happens. Within a few seconds, what are they doing? They're popping their head out. Here I am! Right? And they're found. They love the excitement of being found. Now, older children don't quite do that, do they? Older children find the really hard hiding places. The dark closet, they get under a bed, they find some nook or cranny, and they don't want to ever come out. They could be lost for a long while. Imagine the Greek concept of gods that play games with us. Gods that toy with us. Greeks believed gods were to be hidden, tucked away, and kept elusive to humans. And people often did not want to be found by these terrifying gods. So Paul had to build a bridge. Paul described for them their relationship to a God who did not play hide and seek with them, a God who is not far away, but a God who is near, a God who seeks to live in communion with creation, which is our Judeo-Christian understanding of our God. So if this God seeks to live in communion with creation and we seek the same, God does not want to create obstacles. That's not God's purpose. That's not God's thing. God doesn't want to play games with us. Our God does not play hide and seek. In fact, our God wants to be found. Some years ago, I pastored a congregation, not unlike most congregations, that has a very full Easter Sunday morning. And the choir is often lined up to sing multiple times, yes? You never get asked, do you? No, you you never get asked, do you want to sing five times on Easter starting at 6 a.m.? Nope. The choir just gets lined up to sing all Easter morning. Well, in this church I served, that was the case. The choir came very early to sing early in the morning. You know, the whole thing about the women going to the tomb first thing in the morning. I wish it had been later in the day, but it wasn't. So we start early on Easter. And in this particular church, there was a long gap, and then the choir would return for the 11 o'clock service. One of the choir members would tell me about what happened on her Easter morning. She would leave the early service, and she would go have brunch with her children. Her children and her grandchildren didn't attend worship. She wanted to spend a little time with them on Easter morning. So she would leave that early worship service and head to her son's house, which she did that Easter Sunday. They had brunch, and the cousins, the grandchildren, they were playing hide-and-seek. They weren't playing hide-and-seek. They were playing hide-Easter eggs, and they were finding Easter eggs. And she found a moment with her grandson named Cash, to talk to him briefly about the meaning of Easter. She said, Cash, do you know why Easter's special? I said, no. She said, well, there was a man named Jesus. 
and he died. And then he woke up again. And he's the only one who's ever died and, and woken up again. So because of that, we celebrate Easter. Cash said, huh. So Grandma goes back to church to sing in the choir. Well, later in the day, her son would call her and say, you won't believe what happened. After you went back to church, we got in the car and we went to the other side of town to see the other side of the family and to play with those cousins. And Cash and his cousins were having another Easter egg hunt, hiding the eggs, finding the eggs. And I overheard him say to his other cousin, do you know why Easter is special? And his cousin said, no. He said, well, there was a man named Jesus, and he died, and then he woke up again. And he's the only one who's died and woken up again. His cousin said, huh, who's Jesus? And Cash said, a friend of my grandma's. <laughs> How many are here today because Jesus was a friend of your grandma's? I want to see a, I want to see some hands raised. Thank goodness Jesus was a friend of a lot of our grandmas. In our modern context, in your city and in my city, we encounter a world of people who don't know Jesus. And the Athenians did not know Jesus either. Now, the gods of our modern context are not those we put in shrines. We don't tend to, to build idols to them as much as bow down to them with our time and our money and our attention. Interestingly, these gods can play tricks on us, just like the gods of ancient Greece, right? Have you ever had a, have you ever had a job play a trick on you? Have you ever had a hope or a dream or a new car play a trick on you? It was meant to, to give you complete satisfaction and fulfillment, meet all of your longings and your desires, give you comfort and hope, and then did it. What would our idols look like today if we were to build some? to our gods. Maybe a statue of an iPhone. That would be interesting. A nice car, a $100 bill. Perhaps a statue of a logo of a social media platform. Or a laptop. The things that demand our attention, our full and complete attention. You know, one of the hardest things that Paul had to convince the Greeks of was this. You have to surrender all of your other idols to this one God. And that's the same challenge before us today. I believe today Paul talks to us at, on two different levels. 
I believe on one level, we know we are very close to those Athenians. That although we know the story, we have the depth and the breadth of the Christian story deep within us. We also know how divided our loyalties can be. We know that we often find ourselves surrounded by idols that demand our complete and full attention. We know we do not seek God as often as we should or in the ways that we should. And we know there are times when we are hidden from God. And perhaps we even like to be hidden from God sometimes. So Paul is speaking to that part of us today, and he's inviting us to rekindle our love for the one God who seeks to live in communion with us, God's creation. And there is another side of us. There is the side of us that stands with Paul, Paul the missionary. The missionary speaking to a new community of people, We are formed in the scriptures. We are formed and transformed by the resurrected Jesus. And we speak with Paul to people in our world and our communities who don't know Jesus or who have been hurt by who they thought Jesus was. We stand with Paul as he speaks to those. We see the statue to an unknown God and we proclaim The unknown is now known. There's a name, and that name is Jesus. We stand with Paul, although we do it it today in 2023 in Washington, D.C., or in Miami, Florida, or any number of places around the world where people are surrounded by idols seeking their full attention, their full commitment, where young children play On Easter, after an Easter egg hunt, and ask the question, who's Jesus? That is our world, as it was Paul's. So sisters and brothers, we hear Paul's words to us today, both as an invitation to reclaim our own relationship with the God who seeks to live in communion with us and to see the wider world as Paul did and as Willie Jennings describes, something absolutely stunning and marvelous, not turning away from the idolaters but toward them, doing what the gospel demands, reaching toward and reaching out to the point of touching and holding. Friends, will we reach out to our fellow creation in love rather than contempt? When we hear a person in doubt, who's Jesus? When we hear someone who longs for a word of hope that comes from the deep spirit within each of us, will we meet them to the point, at the point of touching and holding? Recognizing the joy of accompanying people to find the God who wants to be found. Small children love the excitement of being found, yes? Big kids 
love being hidden and out of reach. And sometimes we as big kids have turned our faith into a game of hide and seek. We've made our relationship to God so complicated. We've turned that relationship into something we can't even find in Scripture. Sometimes we, we are the ones creating the obstacles. I'm not worthy. That's an obstacle. We don't find that in Scripture. I don't deserve to be loved by God. That's an obstacle we put there. That, that's not found in Scripture. I don't deserve God's love. Or someone else doesn't deserve God's love. Might we be small children excited to be found by a God who seeks us, who wants to find us, who wants to be found, and wants to live in communion with us? God's beloved creation. Let us pray together. Oh God, rekindle our love for you, the God who seeks to know us, to find us. And help us, Lord, to rekindle our love for your creation, all people, that we might lead them to be found to find you. Amen.